Well, I, I'm glad that uh, reality uh, was better than uh, a dream. For some reason, I, I dreamed last night that uh, I woke up and it was 11.30. And I thought, how in the world did I sleep until 11.30? I have never slept until 11.30. And I thought, well, it's too late to get to church. And uh, I looked to see if DW had texted me, and I was trying to find his number to text him, and I couldn't find his number. And, uh, you know, I thought, my goodness, a life. Here it is, you know, on my last few Sundays, and, and I have slept until 11.30 and didn't make it. I don't know if you have recurring nightmares. I think there's somehow, I wouldn't call that a nightmare, but just kind of an unpleasant dream. But as a preacher, I've had a recurring dream uh, in the years that I've been preaching, and I've never had that one before. That was a new one. But it usually is the same theme as that one. And normally what happens is I find myself behind the pulpit and realize that I had no idea I was supposed to speak uh, this morning. And uh, I'm like, wait a minute, I forgot I was supposed to speak, and here I am already behind the pulpit, and what am I going to say? You know, and well, I, I guess maybe the Lord's trying to build my faith. He said, give no thought to what you'll say, but the Lord will give you what you need. So I'd have to claim that scripture uh, if that were to happen. Well, I do want to share with you this morning, I spoke about sharing a series of messages that I've called, Finally, My Brethren. And I want to give you seven words, seven words to remember. Seven words to remember. You know, it's, I don't know about you, but it's easier for me if I can have things simplified and I can just have maybe a word, something that I can hang on to rather than something very complicated. And as you look at Scripture and, and really the Christian life, I think you really can summarize our Christian walk with the Lord on this earth. You can summarize it, if you will, to these seven words. And so I think if we will remember these seven words and what these seven words teach us, it will help us to walk faithfully the Christian life. And, you know, on a serious side, I talk about those dreams that I have occasionally. Again, the one I had last night, which was, you know, I I did wake up about, you know, 7.30 this morning. I thought, it's still dark. It can't be 11.30. There's no way. (laughs) You you know, uh, thankfully, that was just a dream. Uh, But I think that on a serious side, when I have those dreams, uh, I I think it's coming from a fear that I have, and that is a fear that I will be unfaithful, that I will not be faithful to the calling that God has given me. And listen, dear friend, uh, I know the Bible says not to fear, but we should be on guard. That should be a concern of ours if we are believers that we would not be found to be unfaithful. I think it was Wednesday night as we were going through First uh, John. Uh, on Wednesday night there in First John, the, uh, John reminds us that we should make sure that, that we are living our life in a way that will honor God and that we will not be ashamed at His coming. When He comes back, we will not be ashamed because we have not lived our life in the way that God has called us to. We have not been faithful in our calling. And these seven words that I want to share with you this morning will help you and I to be faithful until God calls us home. So first of all, I'm going to begin, and we're going to be in several different passages uh, this morning. We're not going to be simply in one passage, but we're going to have several different verses that we're going to look at, so it may be difficult for you to turn, but certainly make a note, if you will, so that you will be able to study these passages. But we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to find the first word that, we're, that I'm going to share with you of these seven words here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. There the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The first word that I want to share with you, you should have guessed it. We're talking about being Christians. We're talking about living a life of following Jesus. And the very first word that is essential to you and I is the name of Jesus. The word, and I hesitate to say the word because it's much more than a word. It is the name of Jesus. We must, as the writer of Hebrews said, as we go through this Christian life, we must look unto Him. Now the setting for Hebrews 12, and we're going to go and look at Hebrews 11 a little bit later in the message, but the setting for Hebrews 12 verse 1, it follows on what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole list of, of men and women of faith from the Old Testament that the writer of Hebrews gives. He, Hebrews 11 is all about faith and what faith is. And in Hebrews 11, the writer saying, By faith Moses, and by faith Noah, and by faith Abraham, and by faith Sarah. And over and over again, he lists all these people. And then he even generalizes. He said there were others. And he doesn't call them by name. He says, I'm running out of time here. The writer of Hebrews says, I don't have time to, to give you the whole list, but there were many, many people who walked a walk of faith. And in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I love that imagery. I love that imagery. You know, in sports, they call it the home field advantage, right? You know, when you're playing and the crowd is greatly in favor of one team, and you'll see it, well, you're going to have, what is it, LSU and Clemson Monday night. You know, I love football. I've shared that with you before. I look like I could have been at least a halfway decent football player, but my DNA didn't cooperate. When I was in high school, in the ninth grade, I was the smallest boy in my class. You wouldn't think it now. I, I filled out, I understand. But I was the smallest kid in my class, and I had played football in middle school and enjoyed it immensely. But by the time I got to the ninth grade, it didn't take but a couple of games in my ninth grade year to figure out, William, you're not, this is, you're not going to be a success at this. You know, you can be small in football and fast, but when you're like me in the ninth grade and tenth grade, really all my high school years, and you're small and slow, there's no future for you in football. But I loved playing football, and I can still remember in my middle school years when I played and you had your, your, your people who were cheering for you. It inspired you. You're out there on the field. And those of you that play sports, and you, you know there's people there cheering for you. And they're saying, come on, come on, you can do it. It inspires you. 
And, and it gives you inspiration. And that's the picture we have here in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us, people who have been faithful, and they're cheering you on. Now, I don't want to get in a theological argument. Can people in heaven see what's going on? It's the imagery here. It's the imagery that, that the writer of Hebrews is giving that there are people who have walked the walk that you have walked and they were faithful and they're cheering your own. And the writer of Hebrews gives some instruction. He says the way you can be faithful like they were faithful is keep your eye on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. That is rule number one. If you're going to be faithful and not be a casualty in the Christian walk, you must keep your eye on Jesus. Do not look at your neighbor. Don't look at others because you will be discouraged. Don't even look at yourself. You will become discouraged. You will see your own weaknesses. You will see your own inabilities. You look at others, you will see their weaknesses. We must keep focused on Jesus. Jesus is the first word to remember. The name to remember. Keep your eye on Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, he said it this way. He says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, the great Apostle Paul, many people say the greatest Christian that ever lived, I don't want to get into that argument either. But he was a great man of God. God used him to write most of what we call the New Testament. The letters that are in the New Testament. A great man of God. And here he's describing his ministry in the city of Corinth. And it's amazing. He says, I was in weakness. I was in fear. I was in trembling. My preaching was not very good. It was not with persuasive words of human wisdom. You know, Paul was saying they're not going to study any of my sermons at the seminary in terms of context and grammar and the way they're put together. Paul said, I didn't have anything of great value, humanly speaking, to share. But what Paul is saying, what I shared with you was the power of the Spirit. And I shared with you, I just wanted to know one thing when I was among you. Paul says... Remember, Paul was a highly educated man. You know, Peter, I've often said, uh, was the blue-collar. He's the blue-collar saint. And Paul was the white-collar saint. You know, Peter was a fisherman, not very well educated. You know, he's the guy that cut the ear off of a high priest's servant. And as many people, including myself, have often said, don't, don't fool yourself. He was not aiming for the ear. You know, that guy just had quick reflexes. And he missed the center of the guy's head and got his ear. I mean, Peter was a rough and tumble guy. By the way, I believe that's, that's one of the reasons that he's the one that we hear about denied Jesus. Because Peter, in his own opinion of himself, saw himself as a strong man, a fearless man. Remember, he told Jesus, I'll never deny you. Now, I can see John doing it. I can see, you know, James do. I can see the other disciples. They may deny you, but not me. You're talking to Peter here. You're talking to the big strong man here. You're talking to Peter. I'm not afraid of anybody. 
and he found out that he could not follow Jesus in his own power, he ended up, he en- he ended up being afraid of a little servant girl. That's not an accident either. That it was a small servant girl who questioned Peter and pointed her finger, had to look up at him, I'm sure, and said, you were with Jesus? And he recalled in fear. He said, oh no. And he, he began to swear and to curse and say, not me, I wasn't with him. I don't know the man. That's Peter. But Paul here was the white collar, the white collar saint, if you will. Paul was highly educated. And Paul says, there was simply one thing that I wanted to convey to you when I came and preached to you, and it was Jesus and Him crucified. Paul says, that is the one thing I wanted to leave with you. I wanted you to know Jesus. I didn't want you to be amazed at my preaching. I didn't want you to be amazed at the things that I knew. I wanted to leave you with Jesus. And Paul says, I came and I preached to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus, He must be the center of your thought. He must be the center of your Christian walk. Remember, there's the famous passage of Peter walking on the water. I know all of you are familiar with it. I said, if it's you, Lord, bid me come unto you. And he came and he began to walk upon the water and he's looking at Jesus, no doubt. And then the Bible clearly says he began to look at the winds, how they were blowing and the waves, how how they were high and he began to sink. Listen, friend, if you take your eyes off Jesus, you will begin to sink. What you're doing, if you're living the Christian life, never forget the Christian life is not willpower. It is not you deciding that I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop doing bad things and I'm going to start doing good things. I'm going to be a good person now. That's not the Christian life. That's religion. Religion's all over the world. Every society has religion. But what you and I are tasked with is carrying the truth to the world. And the truth is not simply information. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What the church's job is to carry a person is to carry Jesus to the world. And you and I as Christians, we are following Jesus. Christianity is not a change in behavior, although it will change your behavior. But Christianity is faith and trust in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, my friend, the first word I leave you is Jesus. I leave you Jesus. Focus on Jesus. We sang a wonderful hymn this morning. We sang several actually, but one that I had already, nota- already notated that, that I wanted to quote to you, that famous hymn. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Seven words to remember. Number one is Jesus. I know it took us 14 minutes to do that first word. The rest of them won't take as long, I promise. Jesus, the first word. The second word is found in Hebrews 11. I tell you we would get to Hebrews 11. Just one chapter back from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. First word is Jesus. The second word to remember is faith. Faith. Now, again, we could preach a whole sermon on faith, and I promise you I won't do that today. But let me just make a couple of points about faith before we move on. First of all, let's determine what faith is not. 
before we talk about what faith is. Faith is not positive thinking. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of information out there about thinking positive, being positive. And listen, you know, you've heard me say this before. I think I borrowed it from Adrian Rogers, but I love positive people. I don't like to be around negative people. I think I shared this last Sunday about the negative folks that you and I both know who can brighten up a room just by walking out of it. I don't like being around those folks. I like being around positive people. But being a positive person, that is not faith. i tell you something else faith is not. Faith is not presumption. That is, faith is not saying, you know, here's something I want and God can get it for me. And I'm going to claim it and I'm going to tell God, God, I want this job. God, I want this uh, financial freedom. I want this or I want that. This is what I want. And God, I'm praying and you've got to give it to me. That's presumption. That's presuming that God's going to do what you tell Him to do. And if you just have enough positive energy and you think about it in such a positive way, then God's got to do it. He, that's presumption. Well, faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not presumption. That's name it and claim it. What faith is, what biblical faith is, is first of all, you find out what God has said, and then you stand upon His promises. You see, faith is useless if you have no Word of God to base your faith upon. But you first of all find out what God has said, and then you stand upon His faith. And really, to have true biblical faith, there's three parts to true biblical faith very quickly. First of all, there's agreement. And that is you find out what God has said, and you make a decision, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. I believe that. I believe that to be true. I agree with what God has said. Let's just take salvation as an example and walk through it. When God says you're a sinner and Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and you can be forgiven if you'll come to Him and you'll ask forgiveness and you'll confess Him as your Lord and you can be one with your Creator and a person hears that preached or he reads it in Scripture and the Spirit of God begins to stir his heart and, and all of a sudden there's an agreement. Faith begins to build and he says, you know, I believe that's true. I've always known I was not what I should be. And something within me is stirring me. And I believe that that is a true message. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He did die on the cross. That's agreement. And then beyond agreement, there's attitude. You now begin to put confidence and trust in what you agree. You say, you know, I, I really believe that. You know, I was hopeless. I thought I could never be forgiven. I could never get my life straightened out. But now I believe I can. I've got trust and confidence that Jesus can forgive me and give me a new life. There's hope for me. But that's still not biblical faith. You've got agreement. And then you've got an attitude of trust and confidence that, that this is true and I, this will work in my life. This can happen. I can be forgiven. I can know my God. I can have peace. I can have joy. But the third part of true biblical faith is not just agreement and not just the attitude of trust and confidence, but it's action. You have to act upon it. And we're using salvation as an example. And you, you agree with the message that you hear. And then you begin to have an attitude of confidence and faith that yes, yes, this will work. I, I believe this. Then you must step out and act upon your faith and confess Jesus and turn from your sin and receive Him and confess Him as Lord and Savior. That is biblical faith. 
Apply it to whatever area you want to apply it to. First of all, agreement with what God has said. Secondly, an attitude of confidence and trust that what God has said is true and it will work. And thirdly, you act upon what God has said and you obey, you do what He has said you must do. Agreement and attitude and action, that is biblical faith. So my dear friend, as believers, we must remember Jesus. Believers, we must remember faith, biblical faith, not positive thinking, not presumption, biblical faith, agreement and attitude and action, acting and believing and standing upon what God has said. And one last thing on faith. You've heard me say this many times because I know I've said it many times. Don't fall into the trap of focusing on your faith. True faith focuses on the object of your faith. Remember what Jesus said? He didn't focus on having great faith. He said, if your faith is as of a grain of mustard seed, you say, well, he's, a grain of mustard seed is very, very small. The focus is on who your faith is in. It's better to have a little bit of faith in one who is true and faithful, God, than a whole lot of faith in one who is not true and faithful, yourself. You know why that dream was so scary this morning or last night? That I missed my appointment to be here and preach for y'all at 11.30? Because I know me. I know it could happen. It could happen. I've forgotten things before. Places I was supposed to be. Things I was supposed to do. We recognize that we are not faithful. We are prone to failure and forgetfulness and, and laxness. And so, friend, don't focus on your faith and say, well, my faith is just not big enough. No, focus on God. Focus on His faithfulness and His goodness and take what little bit of faith you have, however little it may be, and place it 100% in Him and God will grow your faith. He will grow your faith. Well, thirdly, the third word is Scripture. Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.14, the Apostle Paul said, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You've heard me share this before, but I love to break that out. That the Scripture is profitable for doctrine. It tells us what is right. That it is profitable for reproof. It tells us what is not right. That it is profitable for correction. It tells us how to get right. That it is profitable for instruction in righteousness. It tells us how to stay right. You see, the Word of God is the basis for our faith. You might say, now wait a minute now, Brother William. You just read in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. But remember the Bible also says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You say, aha, well we, we've, detected a, we've detected a conflict in Scripture. We've detected, wait a minute now, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. So we have the Word of God that He has given us that we call the Bible. 
that He gave to men and they wrote down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given to us, preserved by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came. He was the Word of God made flesh. And He walked on this earth for 33 years and He ministered according to the Word of God. Listen, don't ever fall into the trap of unhitching your faith from the Bible. It will not work. Don't ever think you've grown beyond the Bible. That the Bible is old and antiquated and somehow it's no longer relevant and, and you're just going to believe in Jesus. And, uh, well, you know, if the Bible says something, I, well, I just, I'm just going to ignore that because I just don't like that. I just don't feel good about that. Jesus, faith, Scripture. You cannot have a faith without the Word of God. The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Listen, where do you think your faith came from, just in a practical sense? You know, I, I've shared, it didn't come from great preachers. It came from the Bible. What was handed down generation after generation in Christian circles? Scripture. Singing change. We don't even sing the same songs they sang 200 years ago. We probably couldn't even sing them if we, if we knew them. Very rarely, there's just a few that have made it. Just a few, very few. Preachers, they're all dead. Something about human life, we only live so long. And we, have, we might have some written sermons, but I mean, what we have is Scripture. It's the Word of God that our faith is based upon. So never abandon Scripture. Scripture is the basis for our faith. And don't, don't fall into the trap of, well, I know what I believe, so I'm going to find Scriptures that back it up. No, let the Scripture form your belief. Let your belief be moldable to Scripture and let Scripture tell you what to believe. You don't start out with your opinion and then find Scripture to back up your argument and your opinion. You let Scripture mold what you believe. That is being subservient to the Word of God, letting the Word of God be in charge. So remember Jesus. Remember faith. Remember Scripture. And fourthly, prayer. Prayer. Now, there are several ways that we need to pray. You know, it's not enough to pray. Remember, Jesus gave a wonderful example of how a Pharisee went to pray. And Jesus specifically said, don't pray like him. Don't pray like that guy. And so if all you're saying, well, I pray. Well, that's not necessarily good. The Pharisees prayed. Hypocrites prayed. Praying can be bad if you're not praying in the right way. It cannot be something that helps you. It can actually be something that hurts you. Well, how does the Bible, remember the Scriptures, where we go to to learn how to live and what to do, how does the Bible tell us to pray? First of all, it tells us to pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. Now, that don't mean close your eyes when you're going down the interstate at 80 miles an hour. Please don't do that if you're driving uh, on the same road I'm on. It means to have an attitude of prayer. Have an attitude of prayer. Prayer is not defined by your posture or the position of your eyelids. Prayer is defined by the attitude of your heart. You can pray with your eyes open, pray standing up, pray, you know, you can pray in any way as long as your heart, your heart is in an attitude of prayer. So we're to be in an attitude of prayer. You know, it's hard to hate somebody when you're in an attitude of prayer. It's hard to, to have a string of curse words coming out of your mouth when you're in an attitude of prayer. I mean, it's hard to do a bunch of things that God is not pleased with if we are in an attitude of prayer. So we're to pray continually, have an attitude of prayer. And then also, Luke 18, 1, pray consistently. Jesus said, then He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I mean, prayer 
Uh, you know, it's not like some slot machine that you pull on it and see what comes up. You say, whoop, that didn't work. Whoop, let me try again. Whoop, that didn't work. Well, I'm going to quit this stuff. It's not working. No, we're to pray consistently. We're to not lose heart. We're to grab hold of God, so to speak. And when we have the Word of God to stand upon, you know, uh, Tammy was talking about praying for that one. We all have somebody in our family, somebody that we know is not living for God, somehow someone we know that the devil has in his clutches, either through addiction or through anxiety or fear or, or sin or whatever it might be, and he's got them around the neck and he's stifling them down. Well, what that kind of prayer is, to pray consistently, not to lose heart and not to stop praying, it means that we pray, and regardless if it looks like it's getting worse, then we pray harder and we pray more. We pray consistently. We do not lose heart. We pray without giving up. I mean, my goodness, I'm glad. And I, my mother's here. I'm thankful for my mother, her faithfulness. And I know she's always prayed for me. And, and I'm glad that I know that there are people in my life that regardless of where I go or what I do, they're going to be praying for me. Often it's our parents. I mean, other people, we, we can make them mad and they say, hey, I'm through with him. Usually our parents are the last ones to go, you know. I mean, we make everybody, we lose everybody else, but our parents, well, there's some, he's got a good heart. He's got a good heart. There's some good in him somewhere. Well, I'm glad there's somebody out like that there that thinks of me that way. And I want to be that way for others. And I want you to be that way. So pray without giving up. Pray consistently. And thirdly, pray honestly. Matthew 6, 7. He says, Jesus said, But when you pray, do not use vain repetition, repetition as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. But be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. Pray honestly. Listen, you can fool me, you can fool your spouse, your children, your parents. You can't fool God. You can't fool God. When you pray, pray honestly. Just lay it all out there before God. Throw everything you've got on the altar. Pray honestly. And fourthly, pray worshipfully. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is not simply asking God for something. It certainly can be. But we're to pray in a worshipful manner. Worshiping God. And then also pray expectantly. In Mark 11.24, Therefore, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Again, prayer is not a slot machine. Prayer is coming to God, praying based on the Word of God, not praying in presumption or just positive thinking. But God, you said this and I stand upon what you have said and I pray expecting an answer. And lastly, praying forgivingly. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Forgive him. Remember I said it's hard to hate people with an attitude of prayer. And listen, you needn't expect God to hear your prayer if you have hatred in your heart, if you don't have love and forgiveness for all. Well, number five, quickly trying to move on. Uh, five words or seven words to remember. Jesus, faith, Scripture, prayer, and fifthly, church. Now, church is what we're doing today. Church, contrary to some in the modern world, Church is an organization, a body that God ordained. And you can meet whenever you want to meet. You don't have to meet in a building that we call a church. You can meet in a house. You can meet 
in a treehouse. You can meet down by the river. You can meet wherever you want to gather. But church is the gathering together of a body of believers who come together as one to worship God, to study His Word, and to be encouraged and exhorted by one another. In essence, that's what church is. And the Bible has a very clear command about church. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. I've been in church all my life. Again, my mother back there, she was dragging me to church before I knew what church was. I can remember uh, at Mount Zion when I was just tall enough, uh, I remember standing behind the bench and I could pull up and see over the bench a little bit. I can remember doing that, pulling up to see over the bench, you know. And I can remember falling asleep in church as a child. Now, some of you do that recently, you know, as adults. You know. But I can remember especially as a child falling asleep. Said, Boy, when I get out of here, I'm going to sleep, sleep, sleep. Well, as soon as they said amen, man, I was ready to go. I wasn't sleepy anymore. But I've grown up in church all my life, and I've been in church long enough to know that the church is an imperfect place led by an imperfect pastor who is assisted by imperfect deacons who are selected by imperfect members who live imperfect lives and live in imperfect families. The church is not a museum. The church is not a place where you walk through and say, Oh, look what a great family. Oh, look, look what a great believer. Oh, look at there. Look how beautiful that is. You been to the emergency room lately? Unfortunately, many of us have. You been to a hospital lately? Rather than a museum, in reality, the church is a hospital. The church is a place where people should go to be healed of their spiritual diseases. A place where the gospel is preached and people who are hurting can come and be ministered to. So listen, don't come to church and say, well, you know who I saw at church the other day? Good gracious alive. I bet they don't know what they were doing the other night. I bet they don't know I knew what they were doing the other night. Well, listen, I'm not defending what that person was doing. It may or may not have been good. It could have been very bad. But don't you stop going to church because you look across the aisle and you see somebody that's a hypocrite. You see somebody that's not living like they should for God. Because this church is, or any other church is an imperfect place. You don't go to church to look at other people and judge what they're doing. What you do is you go to church to worship God. More than that, I would say first and foremost, and I'm going to get to this in just a second, it's our last item, you go to church first and foremost out of obedience to the Lord because He commands you to get together, not because you like it necessarily. And I don't have time to get into that, but you know, some folks just look around, well, I want to find a church that makes me feel good. Well, I understand that to some degree. I do want a place where I can be ministered to and I feel the Holy Spirit works in my life. But you need to also find a church that makes you uncomfortable from time to time. If you're in a place where all you ever feel is chill bumps and, and good vibes, I might suggest to you, you may not be in the right place. Because you need to have your toes stepped on occasionally. I don't know about you, I'm not good enough yet to only shout hallelujah and praise the Lord. I know there's still things wrong with William where occasionally I need to come to church and say, Oh me, Ooh, that hurt. Oh, that didn't feel good. 
That didn't feel good. Well, why didn't it feel good? Because there's something wrong in my life that needs to be corrected. So my friend, you are commanded to go to church. And as you know, I'll be stepping aside as pastor in a few weeks, and you're not going to have a pastor. You're going to have somebody who's going to be standing behind the pulpit, probably different people who are going to come. And sometimes people, when a church doesn't have a pastor, they have a tendency to get lax. And But listen, if there's ever a time when you need to be in church, you need to be in church regardless of whether there's someone behind the pulpit or not. But if ever you need to be in church, not only if you love the Lord, but if you love this assembly of believers, you need to be faithful in church. You say, well, that preacher that came, I didn't get nothing out of that. Let me just say something. If he talked about Jesus and said something about God loving you and said something about Jesus dying on the cross, you should have got something out of it. Now, you may not like the tone of his voice. You may not like the fact that he shouted too loud. Or you may not like the fact that he was real quiet. You couldn't hardly hear him. Looked like he might faint at any minute. That has nothing to do with the quality of what he said. How he said it. Whether he shouted it or whether he whispered it or whether he jumped up and down and clapped his hands or or, or whether he barely could walk. You're paying attention to the wrong things. What you need to be paying attention to is what did he say? That's what you come to church for. That's what you listen to the preacher for. To listen to some words of truth and words of encouragement regardless of whether it makes you feel good or makes you say, oh me. Church is a place where we come to worship. Quickly, number six, almost through. The sixth one is confession. What comes out of our mouth. Now here's what should not come out of our mouth. The Bible says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. That's Matthew 12, 35. James 1, 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And then in 1 Peter 3.8, Peter says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are in are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then the Bible also says, let no corrupt communication Proceed out of your mouth, but only that that is good for edification. So listen, uh, there are things, and you know, we think about that, we think about words that we call curse words. Well, you know, I don't think we ought to be walking around saying things that are offensive. But much more than that, the focus is on words that we say, sentences that we give to someone that are like a dagger, that puts that person down, that, that, that destroys that person, that tries to tear that person down. Now listen, there are times, as I said just a moment ago about coming to church, that hard truths need to be spoken to people. And people need to be told some things that they may not like. And they need to be told some things that that they may find offensive because it, it brings something to the forefront they'd like to keep hidden. But that's a totally different thing than having one goal, and that is you made me mad 
And I know something that will really hurt you, and I'm going to tell it. I'm going to say it. My mission is to hurt you. My mission is to hurt you, and I know what will hurt you, and I'm going to use the weapon I have, the weapon of my tongue and my words, and I'm going to hurt you with that weapon. That's not what we should do. We need to control our tongue. That's what we should not say. But what should we say? Well, in Matthew 10, 32, Whoever shall confess me, Jesus said, before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever will deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. And then Acts 4.31 says, And then they, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As I have shared, and I've shared this in the last few weeks, But the number one goal of a church and any Christian is to spread the gospel, is evangelism. We should not try to hurt people with our words. We should try to point people to Jesus. We should be confessing our faith. We should be telling people about Jesus and spreading the gospel. Well, here's the last one. We've talked about seven words to remember. The first one is Jesus. Stay focused on Him. The second one is faith. Have the Bible kind of faith. The third one is Scripture. Everything that we believe is based upon the Word of God. We cannot outgrow it. The fourth one is prayer. We're to pray as the Bible commands us to pray. The fifth one is church, the body of Christ. We're to be actively involved in a church somewhere, someplace. We need to be involved in church. And sixth, confession. It is so important, the words that come out of your mouth, both negatively and positively. And lastly, is obedience. The last word is obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Matthew chapter 7 is a great chapter. I'm not, we're not going to have time to read that whole chapter, but it's a great chapter about obedience. About obedience. And in that chapter... Jesus said to beware of false prophets. And He says, here's how you'll know them. You'll know them by the fruits. You'll know them not by what they say, but by what they do. By what they do. And then He goes down over in the bottom of chapter 7. He says, verse 24, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man that built built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Listen, you can be doing all these things that that I said, at least outwardly, appear to be doing them. But if you're not obedient to the Lord, remember Jesus said, everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. That's obedience. That is obedience. I love the verse to an old, old hymn. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His love, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust 
and obey. You might be sitting up out there and say, Brother William, you know, I'm just not very smart. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I just, I mean, I don't read very well. And you talk about the Bible. And I, I, I try to read the Bible and I get confused sometimes. And, and I tell you, sometimes you preachers get up there and y'all start talking about stuff. And part of it I understand. And then part of it, I, I, I just, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, if you know enough that you placed your faith in Jesus, you know enough that you're coming to church trying to learn more about Him, there's something that I know that you know God wants you to do. If nothing else, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. I think we all can understand that. The point I'm making, just start doing what you understand. Stop worrying about the stuff you don't understand and just start walking in the light that you have. Somebody gets up here and says something that goes over your head, say, well, I missed that. Hey, I did. he did say one thing, though, that stuck in my mind. I can start doing that. He said, read your Bible. He said, pray. He said, do something good. Tell somebody about Jesus. I, I can do this or I can do that. Whatever area you can, just start where you are and start being obedient. Or there's something you're doing you know that's not bringing honor to God. Stop doing that. Stop being disobedient and bringing shame upon the name of Jesus. Seven words that I've shared with you. I pray you take these seven words. I believe these seven words are the key walking with Jesus. Taking these seven words and following and doing them. Let's pray. Father, we thank You in Jesus' name for Your Word. We thank You for the Word of God which shows us truth. We thank You for the Spirit of God which enlightens us, convicts and draws us, gives us an assurance, Lord, of Your love for us and the truth of Your Word. And God, I pray for every person who is present here today. You know the need in every heart. And I pray, God, you would meet the need of every person here, whatever that need may be, that your word would minister to them, your spirit would guide and lead them, and you would give them the assurance of your grace. If there is one here that has never fully trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them and they would surrender their life to you this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if the Lord speaks to your heart, I invite you to come. You'd like to come.